Never stop improving. Never stop improving. If you don't watch much TV, that is the slogan from Lowe's. The place you go and you buy products for improvement to your home and to your property. Never stop improving. Well, if you went to Lowe's and spent a lot of money buying a lot of different materials to fix up your house, and your house did not have a good foundation, it really doesn't matter what you do to improve it. Eventually, that house is going to crumble and fall, right? Improvement doesn't mean much if you don't have a foundation. And as we enter into Colossians chapter 3, we're going to see some verses about moral improvement, about growing in Christ. But before we talk about those things, we need to talk about the foundations so we build on uh, the right uh, truths so that our building will be successful. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 as we continue our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful New Testament letter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Happy New Year. All right, everybody doing good? You feel different than you did in 2013? Okay, all right. Is it going to snow today? Okay, we'll see. We'll see. All right, all right. Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we, we ask for your blessing in these moments. We know that, that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. If you do not meet with us, if you do not... Grant us the gift of illumination where you open the eyes of our hearts. If you do not touch us and change us and mold us and make us into who you want us to be, this time will be in vain. So, Father, we, we come to your word with expectancy. We come to your word with dependence. We ask you to meet with us in these moments for the glory of your name. Help us to understand the foundations of spiritual growth, the foundations of Christian growth. Lord, I ask that you would establish my steps in your word, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just FYI, I know that uh, you're used to me starting off the new year with a vision sermon. We're going to preach that vision sermon in about three weeks, so just know that coming up later in January, I'm going to share a vision sermon with you concerning 2014 and who we are and where we're headed as a church. Just want you to be be aware of that. 
Well, we spent uh, weeks working our way through Colossians chapter 2. And if you look back in Colossians chapter 2, we see what this, uh, this chapter is all about in verses 6 and 7. These are the major, the major truths in this chapter. It says there, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul is saying to the believers in Colossae, since you have received Christ, now that you've begun a faith journey following Christ, now it's time to to grow in Christ. It's time to mature in Christ. It's, It's time to become more like Jesus. And so chapter 2 is talking about spiritual growth. And at the end of the chapter, we, we saw that Paul warns against teachings that would lead people away from faith in Christ, that would lead people away from simple faith in Jesus, teachings like legalism and moralism. We studied those together. But here in chapter 3, Paul transitions to talk about some specific areas that Jesus ought to affect in our lives. For example, later on in chapter 3, he talks about marriage. We're going to have a great time talking about marriage in a few weeks. He talks in chapter 3 about about money, about materialism, covetousness, and and greed. He talks about all different uh, manners of morality. So there's all these different issues that he's going to get to in chapter 3. He's going to talk about spiritual growth, Christian growth. But there's a transition passage. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 3 transition from chapter 2 to the remainder of the book where he gives us some foundations before we think about our growth. Some things we need to know, some things we need to be aware of uh, if we're going to grow in Christ. And so I want to give you two foundations for spiritual growth. Two foundations for spiritual growth. These are things that need to be in place in your life If you're going to grow in Christ, if you're going to mature in Christ, if you're going to have the kind of marriage that Paul's going to talk about, if you're going to approach money the way that Paul talks about, if you're going to have a growing morality in your life, these foundations have to be in place. And if these foundations are not in place, it doesn't matter what you try to do, it doesn't matter how you try to improve, it will all one day just crumble. So what are the two foundations for spiritual growth? Number one, if you look there in your notes... We need to understand our position in Christ. Understand our position in Christ. So the first foundation is knowing something. There's some things you need to know, some things you need to be aware of, some truths you need to be aware of if you are going to grow in Christ. Understand your position in Christ. Let me just preface what I'm about to say by saying this. I believe most Christians don't get what I'm about to say. We're going to talk about some very, very important things under this first point that most of us never even think about. Our position in Christ, our identity in Christ. But if we get this, if we understand who we are in Christ, we understand our position before God in Jesus, I'm telling you, things will begin to change. And so, how do we understand our position in Christ? Well, look what it says there, Colossians 3, verse 1. The Bible says, if then you have been raised, watch this word, with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse verse, uh, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There are three aspects of the Christian life 
that Paul talks about in verses 1 through 4. Three aspects that we need to understand. Number one, Paul talks about, if you're a believer, he talks about your past. Your past. Look what he says there in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So if you can look back in your spiritual journey and see that you have been raised with Christ, then these things ought to happen in your life. Look what he says in verse 3. For you have died. He's talking about things in the past. So this phrase in verse 1, if you've been raised, this, this phrase, you have died, they're both aorist tense verbs, which means they're, they're simple past tense. These verbs describe something that, that happened in your past, if you're a believer. So here's what we learn from that. These verbs describe what happens when someone is born again. When someone encounters Christ as Lord and Savior. If you are a Christian, when you met Christ, according to these passages, you were raised again and you died. Both those things happen at the moment you met Christ. This speaks of your past. Now, I want to give you some thoughts to think through this a little bit. To, to think about how this affects your life and what this means. When you placed your faith in Christ, you were brought into union with Christ. When you placed your faith in Christ, for me that was when I was nine years old, whenever it was you placed your faith in Christ, when you did that, you were brought into a, a relationship, you were brought into union, you were united with Christ. Now, you may not have heard much about the doctrine of union with Christ, but I don't know that there's a more vital doctrine in the New Testament. Because it affects every area of our lives. What does union with Christ mean? What does that phrase mean? Union with Christ means, listen, that, everything, that every spiritual blessing you receive, what are some spiritual blessings? Forgiveness, adoption, justification, reconciliation, grace, mercy, love. Every spiritual blessing, right? Every spiritual blessing that you receive, you receive because of your relationship with Jesus. I'll say it again. Every spiritual blessing that you have ever received or ever will receive, you receive because of your relationship with Jesus. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. In other words, we can never experience a spiritual blessing apart from Christ. If we want God's spiritual blessings, forgiveness, adoption, redemption, reconciliation, justification, if we want those things, if we want to receive those things, we've got to have Jesus. You will not receive those things apart from Jesus. Do you get that? Let me say it like this. Jesus is the key that unlocks the door to spiritual blessing. But it's more than that. Because not only is Jesus the key, he is the greatest spiritual blessing. In other words, when you get saved, the greatest blessing you get is Jesus. A personal relationship with Jesus, right? I see that got you excited. Maybe not. 2014, wake up, all right? When you receive Jesus, the greatest gift you give is Jesus, and Jesus unlocks the door to every spiritual blessing that comes from God. That's what union with Christ means. Everything that you receive from God, you receive because of your uniting, your relationship with Jesus. And so let's talk about it in terms of our past. 
united with Christ, you died and were raised as a brand new person. United with Christ, you died and were raised as a brand new person. Look at the language Paul uses. Verse 3 says, for you have died. When you met Christ, you died. Then he says in verse 1, if you have been raised. So when you met Christ, the moment of conversion, the moment you were born again, a death happened and resurrection happened. Because you're united with Christ. Or let me say it like this. Just like Jesus died and was buried, spiritually you died and you were buried. And just like Jesus was resurrected because you're united with him, you were resurrected the moment you met Christ. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Very important verse in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Paul writes here, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're saved, you're a new creation. Look what he says. The old has passed away. The old has died, just like he said over in Colossians. And what does he say? The new has come. So when you met Jesus, something happened. There was a a decisive end and a glorious beginning. When you met Jesus, you died. You died to the power of sin. You died to the authority of Satan over your life. You died to self. All of that died when you met Christ. The power of sin and Satan and self no longer have a hold on you because you died to those things. There was a decisive end to the power of those things over your life when you met Christ. Old has passed away, Paul writes. And when you met Christ, there was not only a decisive end, there was a glorious beginning. You stepped out of darkness into his marvelous light. You went from the authority of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, to the authority of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of light. You were made a brand new person. You were born again, a glorious beginning. You were raised with Christ. And so as we think about our union with Christ, think about your past. Think about who you were before you met Christ. And think about that moment when you heard the gospel and God drew you to himself and you saw your need for a Savior and you called on his name and he saved you in that moment. You were born again. Think about your past. You died and you were raised again. Because of that, if you're a Christian... You are a brand new person, a brand new creation in Christ. So think about our position, think about your past. But secondly, think about your present. Think about your present, think about what's happening right now in your life. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writes, For... You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when I studied this passage, this phrase, I got really excited. What does it mean that because you're united with Christ now, now that you're His, now that you have a relationship with Him, what does it mean that your life is hidden with Christ in God? Here's what it means. Because of your union with Christ, he says, with Christ, you are completely, listen, 
eternally secure in your relationship with God. Because of your union with Christ, you are completely, eternally secure in your relationship with God. Now, let me share you something that got me really excited as I thought about this. There's a relationship between the three persons of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They've existed in eternal relationship from eternity past. And now they are enjoying that that relationship between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They, they, They are united to one another, you might say. This verse says that we're with Christ in that relationship, in God. Here's what that means. It means that because you are in Christ or with Christ, your relationship to God is as secure and unbreakable as the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Can anyone or anything disrupt the relationship between Jesus and his Father? That's a question. No. Guess what? You're with Christ. You're in God. And just like nothing or no one can disrupt the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, nothing or no one can disrupt the relationship between you and God. You're united with Christ in that same relationship. You're with Him. You're hidden in God. Nothing or no one can touch that. Once you are brought into relationship with God, that relationship will never, ever change. You are eternally secure in that relationship. You're with Christ, hidden in God. I like what the New Testament scholar A.T. Robertson writes. He writes, so here we are in Christ, who is in God. And no burglar, not even Satan himself, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So your past, you died, you came to life, you became a brand new person. You're present, you are with Christ in relationship with God, that'll never change. You're eternally secure in Him. But think about your future. Think about your future. Look what Paul says in verse 4 of Colossians 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, talking about the future now, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Your future. Wait, wait, what awaits the believer in Christ? What's our future? Listen to me. Because of your union with Christ, when Christ returns, your body will be transformed to be like His glorified body. It says when He appears, you'll appear with Him in glory. And so when He comes back, you will experience being with Him and you will be transformed in that moment. Let me read you a couple of verses that that speak to what's going to happen when Jesus returns for God's children. Over in Philippians, Paul writes, verse uh, 20 and 21 of chapter 3, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. So he says, when Christ comes back, He's going to take us, whether we're raptured or resurrected, He's going to take our our decaying, perishable bodies and make them brand new, just like Jesus. We'll have a glorified body, just like Jesus Christ. That's what's coming. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, 
that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, listen, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this, has this hope in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. So the Bible says when Jesus returns, His children will be like Him. We'll be glorified with Him. We'll be, be given new, uh, new bodies, new glorified, imperishable bodies in which we will live in for all of eternity. So here's what's going to happen if you're a Christian. Death does not have the final say. Amen? Because of your relationship with Christ, because you are united with Christ, when Jesus comes back one day, He's going to bring you to heaven with Him. And He's going to give you new glorified bodies. And you get to be in heaven forever with Jesus in that eternal state forever. That's what your future holds. And so we need to understand this. If we're going to have the foundation that we build our, our moral improvement upon, we've got to understand who we are in Christ. We've got to understand our position in Christ. Think about your past. Think about your present. Think about your future and what it means that you know Christ. But not only do we need to understand our position in Christ, secondly, we need, to, we need to establish the right priorities in life. We need to establish the right priorities in life. Look what the Bible says there in verse 1 of Colossians 3. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Look in verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so we're told twice to, to seek after, to set our mind on things that are above. Now here's the question. What are things that are above? What does he mean when he tells us to focus on things that are above? I like this answer from Peter O'Brien, New Testament scholar. He writes, the phrase, see, um, the phrase, uh, see, uh, The phrase, things that are above, alludes to Psalm 110, where it speaks of Jesus being uh, seated at the right hand of God. Look what he says there in verse 1. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. O'Brien says, this heavenly realm centers around the one with whom they have been raised. Since he is in a position of supreme authority, no principality or power can prevent their access to this realm and to God's presence. They are thus to keep on aiming at that which is above, and him who is at its center. So he said, when you you keep your mind on things above, you're thinking about the heavenly realm of which Jesus is reigning over. So to seek things above, you're thinking of Jesus and his rule and his authority. Now here's what that means. It means that Jesus, if you look in your notes, should have your heart's affection. Jesus should have your heart's affection. Look what it says there in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now that word seek in the 
the New Testament is interesting. It's a Greek word. It's the word zeteo. It means to desire to have or experience something with the probable implication of making an attempt to realize one's desire. It, it means to desire something, to want something. It's not just look for something. It's how we might use the word seek in our, our everyday world. But to, this word seek after is to seek because you really want it. That's what it means. Seek after it because you really desire it. This word was used of the woman in Luke 15. Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 15, the parable about the woman that lost one of her coins? Remember that story? And she's, she's seeking zeteo all throughout the house. She really wants it. She desires to find that coin. And we know that because when she, when she finds it, what does she do? She calls all her neighbors and has a big party. So her seeking was a, a desiring after. This word, zeteo, was also used of Mary and Joseph when they left Jerusalem when Jesus was a child and realized they didn't have Jesus. Remember that story? And they went back to Jerusalem, and the Bible says they sought after him. They zeteo. They, they, they looked for him. Why? They desired to find him. They really wanted to find their child. So this word, seek after, speaks of desire. This is what I believe the translators of the NIV 1984 version, wanted to convey, when they translated this word, who has the NIV in here this morning? Who's got an NIV? It says there in NIV, it says, set your hearts on things above. They're trying to get at that idea that this word seek is a, a desire of your heart. It's a desire to, 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 to grasp hold of Jesus. So here's what that means for you and for me. Jesus should be the desire of our lives. Jesus should have your heart's affection. He should be the desire of your life. He should be the desire of my life. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus, we're 2014, we're talking about resolutions and, and improvements, never stop improving, right? Some of those are moral improvements. We're trying to do better, trying to build up our lives. But here's the foundation. Do you desire Jesus? Does he have your heart's affection? Does your heart burn brightly for Christ? And here's a sure sign as to whether or not Jesus has your heart. You listening to me? Do you talk about him any during the week? Is he the topic of your conversation? Is he the focus of your thoughts? Seek the things that are above where Jesus is. Seated at the right hand of God. Do you... Think on Christ. Do you desire Christ? Do you seek after Christ? Jesus should be the desire of our lives. It reminds me of what Jesus said over in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things we worry about in life will be added unto us. And so, Jesus should have your heart's affection. Secondly, Jesus should have your will's allegiance. Jesus should have your will's allegiance. Look what Paul writes there in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right 
hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Again, Paul recognizes the authority of Christ here. This is an allusion to Psalm 110. The right hand of God is the place of power and authority and privilege. In Psalm 110, the Bible says that God the Father would place God the Son in this position of authority and privilege and power. And so Paul's just reminding us, remember, as you seek the things that are above, remember, Jesus is there and Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's the one that's calling the shots over all creation. And if Jesus is calling the shots over all creation, shouldn't he be calling the shots over your life? If he's at the right hand of God, the place of ultimate authority and power, shouldn't he be calling the shots over your day-to-day life? Shouldn't he be your Lord? Does Jesus have your will's allegiance? So as we think about our heart's affection, Jesus being the desire of our lives. We need to think about our will's allegiance, Jesus being the director of our lives. The director of our lives. As we see Christ, we are to recognize His absolute authority and submit to it. Now let me ask you a question. This is a good, a good start of the year question. Are there any areas of your life that are not under the Lordship of Christ? Any areas of your life that Jesus is not calling the shots in? Maybe he's calling the shots in this area of your life and this area of your life and this area. But over here you have this little part of your life that you don't want Jesus to mess with. You like this area of your life. You don't want Jesus to mess it up. You want to keep doing what you're doing, committing the sins you're committing, involved in the things you're involved in that are not godly, and, and you don't want Jesus to mess with that. Paul says, remember that Jesus is at the right hand of God. He is Lord of every area of your life. He should have your will's allegiance. He should be the director of your life. Here's the third thing. As we think about establishing the right priorities in life. Jesus should have your heart's affection. He should have your will's allegiance. But he should have your mind's attention. He should have your mind's attention. Look what the Bible says. In verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, it's going to take us a couple weeks to unpack this. I want to kind of introduce it this week. But next week, I want to talk about some practical strategies for setting your mind on things above. We're going to get more detailed next week. But I want to introduce what this phrase means, to set your minds on things that are above. The word there, set your mind, is the word phreneo, it means to keep on giving serious consideration to something. It means to ponder, to let one's mind dwell on, to keep thinking about, to fix one's attention to. And guess what? This is a present tense verb, which means this is to be a continual activity in our life. We're to continually let our mind dwell on things above. I've heard preachers say, and it always gets some good amens, that we should, be, we should not be so heavenly minded we're of no earthly good. To which I would say that's impossible. Listen to me, you can't be too heavenly minded. According to the Bible, the Bible says we should continually, continually, present tense, continually set our mind on things above. And if you'll do that, 
you'll be more earthly good. It'll affect the way you live. How you think affects your actions. You Listen, you cannot be heaven, too, too heavenly minded. Get that out of your mind. If you hear that, just smile and, and move on. You cannot be too heavenly minded. You can't. It's impossible. Matter of fact, we all need to grow in this area, right? We need to be more heavenly minded because it will affect our day-to-day living. Here's what that means. Jesus should be the dominant theme of our lives. The dominant theme of our lives. He should be the desire of our lives, the director of our lives. He should be the dominant theme of our lives. Here's what it means. We should live with an intentional disinterest in the things the world offers. Now, those words are all chosen carefully. Unintentional disinterest. In other words, we've got to make the decision that we're not going to be wowed or lured by the things of this world. Now, I say, wait, what are the things of this world? What are the things of the world that we should not focus on? Well, look what he says a little further down in chapter 3. Verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's mentioned earthly things there. What are the earthly things? Well, look what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Look in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. So he goes to these different things that are earthly. Immorality, sensual things. Deceptive things, covetousness, materialism. These things are earthly. And he's saying, don't let these earthly things capture your heart. Don't let them capture your mind. Don't dwell on these things. We should live with an intentional disinterest in the things this world offers. And listen, we should live with a deliberate, daily, mental focus on Christ and the implications of his lordship for our lives. We should live with a deliberate, daily, mental focus on Christ and the implications of his lordship for our lives. Now, next week, I'm going to talk some more about how we do this, how we have a deliberate, daily, mental focus on Christ, some things that will help you have this mental focus. This is so very important, but today, get this truth. You want to to daily, intentionally, deliberately, Focus your thoughts on Christ. Focus your thoughts on His Word. Focus your thoughts on His Lordship. So that your life will be changed in the here and now. He says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now let me just be real honest with you. I'll I'll comment some more on this next week, but... I believe it is harder to obey this command than it was 100 years ago. I really do. We've got more distractions, conveniences that pull our minds away from simple faith and trust and focus on Jesus Christ. As I say this, you need to understand, I have one in my home. I watched it last night. I'll watch it again today, probably. But has there been anything more corrupting in American culture than television? 
Think about it. I mean, just think about it. Think about the long-term impact television has had on our culture. Think about the things that are on there. And, and now, think about the Internet. And, and everything's right at the touch of your fingertips. Everything's private now. You can look at anything, view anything, without anyone knowing it. And it's private. We are living in an age of unbelievable technological distraction. And I believe, I really believe this command is harder to obey than it was 100 years ago. It really was. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't obey it. Amen? It doesn't mean that it's not valid for today's church. Matter of fact, it, this should be at the forefront of who we are. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on things that are on the earth. The way one thinks, write this down, this is not in your notes, write this down. The way one thinks impacts the way one lives. What you believe affects your behavior. And our new identity in Christ, our position in Christ, should be reflected in a new mindset. And so, Lowe says, never stop improving. Never stop improving. And that's true spiritually as well. We should never stop improving. We should let God change us, and we should be growing in our faith in Christ. But understand, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't get these foundations right, things will eventually crumble in your life. Before you're going to grow in your marriage and handling your finances and all these other things, you've got to understand the gospel. You've got to understand who you are in Christ, and you've got to make some, some daily, deliberate decisions to set your focus on Christ. Have the right priorities in this life. 